I did. I wasn't recording our pre-show meeting, so I lost all my good jokes <laughs> from that. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Pace the Nation. Broadcasting back here at Studio 1A in downtown Arlington, Virginia, on a beautiful Thursday afternoon in the heart of all things. That's Clarendon, of course. Back here in Studio 1A for episode 242 of Pace the Nation. Excited to have a full crew intact here with me. A big show to get to. Across me, of course, it's Julie Cully. Julie, what's up? Hey, I don't know what the rules are in terms of if I'm allowed to say what day it is. Can I say what day it yeah, is today? Yeah, I think so. That's okay. fine. Today, Pull back the curtain. Go ahead. Today is July 9th, mm-hmm. and we still don't know what we're doing a month from now in terms of college athletics. Yeah, we're going to get into that. I know it's crazy, and it's dominating your life, and I'm glad you can actually carve out the hour and a half to two hours here because you are super busy trying to figure that out. I mean, you're not the one who's making the decision for the Big East or college athletics. No, thank God. But you're, but you're in the weeds with it. So we're going to, there's a lot going on with that. We're going to talk about that. Uh, yeah, we, we, they got to make a decision. We got to make a decision. You got to make a decision soon. Uh, maybe uh, we can bring in our co host. He can help us with the decision. Of, uh, from somewhere in Arlington, it's William E. Docs. Docs, what's up? Well, I mean, it's laughable that, that, that Julie thinks she's busy. Like, every week she tells us that, <laughs> that, that, that she's doing nothing for her job. It sounds great. Right. <laughs> I, know. I know. I know. Oh, my goodness. I, I will say nothing is, you know, she's not not doing nothing. That's a double negative. But she's doing stuff, but it's not getting her closer to having a season or not having a season, which no. is not your it's fault. Like, it's like spinning your wheels for months <laughs> on end. It is. But you know what? I don't want to take this topic away. This is a later in the show topic that I have on the agenda. So let's table that for now. Yeah, Julie, uh, stop trying to, to get ahead of that. things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trying to hijack this show. Yeah, stop this is, that. Stop this is that. Ju- the, show is, the show is a microcosm of your job. You're trying to get ahead of things on your job when all you should do is just yes. sit back and relax. Um, it I is. Know. It is important for us to point out the day. Uh, because it's also uh, a niece's birthday today. So happy birthday to my niece. She knows who she is. Nice. Happy birthday. Um, I'm still bitter that you beat me in uh, Are You Smarter Than a Fourth Grader or whatever that game was, <laughs> but happy birthday anyway. Um, yeah, that, so that's that's big news. But yes, it is July 9th. Uh, we are recording on a Tuesday, uh, or I'm sorry, on a Thursday. Uh, we've got a big show to get to. Uh, we want to talk about college athletics. I think we're going to spend a lot of the second half of the show talking about college athletics. Uh, there are some major universities making decisions uh, that will affect, I think, a lot of everything. And not just college sports, but universities and uh, maybe even pro sports. You know, how everything looks this fall and maybe even into next spring. So we're going to talk about that and big decisions that were made. Also in today's program, excited to have a really special guest. Excited to have Hassan Mead on the show. He's an Olympian uh, in 2016 at the Rio Games. He was 11th in the 5,000 meters. Uh, He is originally from Somalia, 
and he's a U.S. citizen who made the U.S. Olympic team at 5,000 meters, and he's got many other accomplishments. Uh, I've got the 5,000 meters at Rio as uh, one of his top, but he'll have to tell me, he'll have to tell us what his top accomplishments are. Finishing 11th at the Olympic Games, I think, has got to be top of the list, but uh, we're excited to have Hassan Mead. He recently had an article in Runner's World where uh, it was entitled, Hassan Mead Speaks Up About Racism He's Dealt With Since Coming to the U.S. 21 Years Ago. Uh, so that was a Hassan Mead article told to Taylor Dutch and Runner's World. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his running. We're going to talk about the Olympics uh, that are hopefully happening next year. Uh, so a lot to get into with Hassan Mead. Uh, so he came over from Somalia. And I, I don't know if a lot of folks know, Docs, that um, nobody knows teammates. Docs. <laughs> no, nobody did. That's true. Very few. Uh, people know Docs, but uh, I think fewer people know the fact that you were high school teammates with one of Somalia slash the U.S.'s best uh, runners ever, uh, one of the best runners in Virginia ever, Sharif Karee. Um, and I know you did you did some prep for this interview and saw some parallels with Sharif and Hassan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's appropriate for our conversation, but I, I did want to talk to him about that. I mean, uh, Sharif came over to the United States from Somalia as a uh, as a kid, as a you know, in high school, and mm-hmm. and he first landed in Minnesota, and I saw that that Hassan also uh, immigrated from Somalia and and landed in Minnesota. Uh, Interesting. I didn't realize that about Sharif. Okay. Yeah. And then he went to Springfield. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I know that, that, that uh, Minnesota has a, a large Somalian population. And so I don't know if that, that had something to do with it. But uh, they, they both uh, first immigrated to Minnesota and then uh, went to other states. Hassan went to mm-hmm. California. Sharif went to Virginia, and they both had uh, very strong high school and college careers. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a, it's a very similar story. Now, when Sharif came over, because we're going to talk to Hassan, and I'm just kind of setting up this interview a little bit here. When Sharif came over, um, he w- w- how was his English? Was he a runner? Like was what I mean? He was obviously one of the greatest runners ever in Virginia. Yeah. But was he a seasoned runner at the time, and was he did, did he you know speak the language? His his English was not very good when he came over, um, and you know so that that was something to to work on. Uh, when he first arrived, I, I guess he wasn't eligible to run yet, or something like this. Uh, so. He, but he ran to and from school every day. Like that's how he got to school, and so everybody, right. everybody knew he was a runner. Of course, we were, uh, you know, the defending state champions, and had carved out, you know, a really, uh, we we had carved out a place in in uh, high school running. And and I'll be yeah, honest, when a when, legacy, yeah. When, when he first showed up, we were kind of, you know, and everybody in the school is like, oh, we, there's a runner here, there's a runner, like. Dude, we're runners. We won states. Right. Come on. So there was there was a this little bit. This guy, of, Will, this guy knows nothing about running. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was there was definitely a little bit of uh, jealousy because because uh, he was getting a lot of attention for being a runner, but he wasn't on the team. And then when he when he came out for the team, 
at first he was uh to me he he was either very competitive or uh he didn't uh know how to run with with the team or r- run with other people for training and so that was like something that he needed to be taught but you know and and we trained with him for a while before he raced and uh his first race as a freshman he he ran a, a super fast time it was ridiculous so um well I, I was at a rival high school and i remember him coming onto the scene and i was like whoa, 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 who is this guy yeah um and we're talking about sharif curry and so let's 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 ask uh i mean he's a little sharif was a little older than hassan but i do think uh, i like the parallel parallels we'll have to ask hassan uh if, if he knows who I, i'm sure he knows sharif curry he's got to i mean if if you were going to place a bet, you think he knows him, Doc? I, I would yes. say so. Yeah, I mean Sharif Kari yep. was was. Uh, I mean, it's funny you say that he was he was one of the best runners in the country of all time, or one of the best Virginia State runners. I mean, Alan Webb <laughs> is right, bettered right. him in both. Well, sh- but but uh, I would say high school wise. I'm saying high school wise, Sharif was one of the best high schoolers. He was the Gatorade high school athlete of yeah, the year. Yeah, no, at one he point. was. I, I mean. I, I, I yeah. mean, he. I think he. I, I don't know. I don't remember if he broke four in high school or if he if he just got really close to breaking four in high school. I think he got close to breaking four in high school. Um, but you know, I, I think until Alan Webb came, he you know Sharif might have had the fastest high school time since like Jim Ryan. So, well, well, let's Ridiculously let's talented. let's let's switch gears. Uh, let's uh, change to the conversation from Sharif to uh, Hassan Mead. Excited. To have Olympian uh, Hassan Mead join us next here on Pace the Nation. All right, welcome back to the program. And now, Julian Docks, we are excited to be joined on the phone by Olympian, among other things. It's Hassan Mead. Hassan, how are you? What's going on, everybody? I'm doing great, man. Good, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We want to talk about your article that you penned for Runner's World. It's Hassan Mead speaks up about racism he's dealt with since coming to the U.S. 21 years ago. I say penned, but you don't like actually sit down and write it with a pen. You probably typed it up on a computer, (laughs) right? Yeah, no. Uh, the young lady that that uh, wrote the article was up here, so we just we just uh, we went and got coffee and we just dove it right in. So nice, and that was Taylor Dutch who you wrote the article with. Um, a, re- a really, uh, you know, a, 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 you dove into the history of you coming to the U.S. and we want to talk about that um, and and a lot of things to get into here with Hassan Mead. But before we had you on, um, Docs, who's on the phone as well. Went to high school. We kind of had a bet. Did, do you know this person or not? Docs went to high school with Sharif Kari. Do you have a connection or relationship with Sharif Kari? Uh, no. No. Okay. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> Sharif is old. See, we're old guys, and we ran in high school and college, and Sharif was from some – he was Doc Somalia and then came over to yeah. the U.S., yeah, Sharif. Sharif is a Somalian. He he actually immigrated. Um, I guess freshman year of high school, he he went to Minnesota just like you uh, for a semester, and then he moved out to Virginia and finished his high school career, and then he he ran at the University of Arkansas. 
and, oh, and I think okay. he was a he was a four minute miler in high school. See, we're wow. old. We expect him to know. You're about 30, <laughs> right? Right, Hassan? So Sharif. I figured you had like a, a Sharif Curry poster on your on your, uh, <laughs> on your your wall. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I wish. I wish. No, I, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really big on the, on, on the running side. I didn't know a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, uh, great runners that came before me. So unless I, unless I somehow interacted and saw the community later on, I was kind of a, had a little delay into a reacting to the a community world, so unfortunately, no, having a it was the first time I was hearing his name, but I'm like you said, he's in the books for sure. Yeah, so so, so you know, and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I feel like we're falling into a trap here that we are kind of defining all you guys together, and that's the last thing we want to do here on Pace Nation. <laughs> uh, no, it's a fair question to ask. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah, so so Sharif was a, a, a Virginia star, and we talk a lot about Virginia high school uh, uh, running on this podcast. So, um, so l- let's talk about your story, and let's take t- let's t- take us back to when uh, you came over to the U.S. Uh, you did initially uh, come over with your parents to Minnesota. How old were you? And tell us a little about that experience. I I mean my my uh, so. My sister, myself, and my mom came in, I think I want to say about late, maybe in November, or maybe October of 99. But my pops been already here prior to that. I think my dad was here three, about three to five years um, before we did. So, well, and he, by the, when we arrived, he was living in Minneapolis. So, um, you know, our journey ended in the state to at Minneapolis. So I, I was, I was probably say, I was turning 10 or 11 in that summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you know, and we, we got to Minneapolis, and then the winter came in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a place where the, the coldest day is like 45 in the morning, but, you know, by 7 a.m. gets to 55. So I, didn't, I couldn't quite comprehend the idea of a, a below zero. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places you guys could have moved that would, not, you know, not be so uh, rough weather-wise. Why did you pick Minneapolis? Why did your well, family I mean, pick Minneapolis? So when my dad came to the states. I want to say '96, '95-ish. He, uh, my my uncle lived in California, and he, so you know, you know, when you we and you two are cut, you're gonna go, you know, and go with your relatives. So he went over there and saw his brother. Stayed there for a while in California, and then. He knew what Minnesota's uh, in the immigration system that when he wanted to file papers for us, that was more um, more efficient. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's and there's also he knew there's a lot of he knew a lot of friends up in Minneapolis that would um, help him through the process. You know, that been through this process of, of getting their family here as well. So, uh, Minneapolis, you know, short answer: Minneapolis has a very very large Somali uh, community. So, anytime you move to it anywhere, you know, in a foreign country. You're gonna lean into that, so that was one of the um, one of the decisions, or you know, live living that attracted my dad to go in Minneapolis. And as you know, there's great community of Somalian people there, so he was he was getting guided through how to apply for this long process of getting his family to the state. Now, um, I, I read in the article that you did with Taylor Dutch that came out on June 30th uh, in Runner's World that you didn't go to school until you got to America. Yeah, like yeah, explain that to me. I mean, I came from a farm. Um, wow. I mean, 
you know, my, my family, you know, we, we come from the countryside. So, uh, when we were, when we were, you know, when we decided that we were going to come to this, you know, for us who own a lot of farms, you know, your daily just involves with that. And, and there wasn't much schools because, you know, the, the government, the civil war in 91, I just kind of caused 90%. I'm, I'm going to say probably hundred percent of some other schools were all public government funded. So mm-hmm. once the government is no longer stable, you really can't have uh, efficient education anyway. So that was some of the obstacles and me coming late and being younger. Um, I just didn't, that just wasn't a thing. I, you know, I just kind of focused on the farm and did that. So yeah, I was, uh, I was so, behind. So yeah. So you're 10 years old. Like how, how much anxiety you have as a 10 year old and you're, you're trying to go to school, don't know the language. Can you take us back there? Like well, that, that must've been well, tough. Yeah. I, and I think it, it really depends on, um, person to person in terms of how well you can handle something that's out of, you know, out of your reach or you can't really um, fix it in a one, one, uh, one process. So for me, it just, I just knew that I was behind. I couldn't really stress out about it, but I'm not going to say I wasn't stressed, but it was just like, you know, it was a slow, slow process. Um, man, I'm trying to think back if I, had any moments where I felt just kind of a, you know, frustrated and broke down, but I can't really think back. But I think when when you're that young, yeah, you just you just do what you know. You, you, just, you just sit around in the other time. So for me, when I got to school, you know, most of the time, when teachers are you know over here giving lectures and or explaining lessons, I just kind of you're watching it, but you really don't understand. It. <laughs> right. you know, it's like you know, it's like right. you being in a foreign country and you're right. watching the TV. There is something on the TV, but you you can't quite comprehend. You can't so. comprehend anything that, that they're that doing. Was, you can see what they're yeah, doing, and you hear what yeah. they're saying, but it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it doesn't it resonate. That, so. Right. Yeah, but that was that. Yeah. But you're that ten, was when I was like and, my first and year or so. yeah, you're ten, and it just yeah. I mean, that's you're resilient as a kid, and I think that's a. Um, I think that's that's just the way it is for kids. So, um, yeah. so. It, when you're back back in, in in Minnesota, a lot of the article here talks about some. You know, we're, we're talking about a lot of racial injustice. Um, you know, on our podcast and and everywhere, this is a conversation, which is good. Uh, did you experience any racial injustices at the time? Even being a youngster, could you realize um, that that was the case or that was happening to you? The the beauty of being as kid is like. You really, unless something is directly, directly happening to you in a, such an aggressive matter, you really, as a kid, you don't pay attention and you don't see a lot of those things that you are aware of, you know, when you grow and you starting to just consciously be aware. So I wouldn't say when I was a high school kid, you, you didn't really pay attention to mine, but once you got to college, um, and even after college, whether you were, whether maybe I'm just being an adult and, being a lot more conscious or was it more happening more consistently but i started to come across a lot more the older i got mm-hmm. but not when i was uh younger high school or middle school yeah because in you moved from minneapolis to california to seattle then back to minneapolis, minneapolis yeah and and you know you be you, along the way obviously you become you know a great runner a great middle school high school runner um, yeah. you know, how, how was, you know, how important was that in your development as, uh, you know, as, 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 as a youngster, how important was running to you? 
I think, um, you know, running didn't really come play an important role until later. Um, but I would say that just general idea of sports kind of guided my life, I think. Um, cause I, I just had, I was just, I was just like attracted to this constant idea of just, I want to be out there running, 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 spending energy. So I would, I just love the sports from the, uh, from the start and, you know, gym class being gym class. It was just like, that's how I kind of came up about running was like, when one says we had to do gym class and it was like, we do the warm-ups and you run your mile. And then anytime you get any additional time left, you get to play any sports you want. And I love basketball. So I would just go out there and, and, you know, do this four four laps on this giant grass field. And then I just like, oh, I'll just go play basketball. So you wanted so to get it as that, that, fa- done as fast as you could. So you could go play hoops. Yeah. I just, I just couldn't, I just did. I was like, why, why waste time and like jog and walk when I can just run? <laughs> it didn't bother me. So, that's, that was kind of the first time I got the idea. Someone told me like, "Oh, you know, this, this you have you happen to have a uh, a natural talent for this." But I didn't really get into it until late in high school. But overall, I would say sports in early age um, helped me a lot and 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 guided me in, in the path that I am today. But running did come to play, you know when I got to college and everything. Yeah, so you you really just didn't take up running full-time probably till later in high school, right? Yeah, I didn't I didn't start actually training for um, cross and track until I was going into my junior year in high school. Wow. And then yeah. you then you were obviously a a you know, a state champion contender in in, in Minnesota. Uh and then Yeah. And, and then run, got, yeah. and then run for 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 your uh, your home state there and run for the Gophers yeah. there at uh, at University of Minnesota. Yeah, it was kind of a three hundred and sixty thing because, like, remember we uh, got to the states and we lived out of Minneapolis a little bit, went to California, Seattle, and came back to Minneapolis. You know, kind of like this after I what it was probably like eight, almost eight, ten years, and uh, come back to Minneapolis and. You know, kind of finish it up where I started with the school. So, but no, I was uh, I was fortunate enough to to be paired with a guy named uh, Mark Gross, who was at a South High School at that time, and he knew a lot more than I did. So he just gave me daily things to do, and I ended up running like my first summer mileage. I think I ended up running like forty, anywhere from forty to sixty miles a week, and that kind of led to my junior, uh, my senior year in high school, and I think. I was undefeated um, in cross country, broke the state record, and then went on to track and signed with University of Minnesota, and then kind of never looked back. But you know, it makes me giggle because you know when you first came over, you said how crazy it was to be in this type of temperature. Well, then you're an adult and you're choosing to stay <laughs> in that temperature. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it is. Oh man, you have no idea. I was like, "What happened to me?" It was like <laughs> I went from like I went from like I'm getting out of here, going back to the West Coast, to like making an adult decision and talking about you know the pros and cons of staying here and going to school. And I remember looking back, thinking like, well, I was going to go to college, and I was like, "Well, if you want to if you want to run cross country, the national championship is in Terre Haute, Indiana. You know, Terre Haute is about as midwestern it gets when it, you know cold weather." So I was like. I did like, uh, you know, Steve sent you at the University of Minnesota. I liked the crew he was bringing in. So I was like, well, this might be the first time you make a dog decision. You're going to have to stay in this cold weather and just get a head start when it comes to cross. 
That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about the team at that time, because there were some really incredible athletes in the program at University of Minnesota during your time there, correct? Absolutely, yeah. We we had even some studs that transferred. There's a guy named uh, Forrest uh, Tanibadua. He went to South High School. He was from South Minneapolis as well. Went to Stanford, uh, did his four years, and he was in law school on his first year. Now, it's my freshman year, so I got paired with him. I mean, I'm I'm freshman, there's no buck about running, and then <laughs> I get paired with a, a, you know, not only a South Minneapolis guy, but he's a veteran, and he, you know, at that point, he'd been teammates with Ryan Hall, and so we had, yeah, so we had Forrest, we had a Chris, um, Chris Rombo, who was a junior, I think, he just won Big Ten and was an All-American. Uh, we ended up having Ben Blankenship transfer, which is, you know, another Minnesota stud, and as you guys know now, he's an Olympian, and yeah doing it all right so we've had ben yeah. on the show yep love ben yep yep well, yeah him and i've been man racing or teammates for like about a decade and a half i think so yeah. wow. but we had yeah we and then we had justin grunewald um yeah and he's a doctor justin grunewald now but but we had a, a lot of good uh runners on the just to, just to touch on the distance and the, not even the sprinters and all but and i think we we got seventh or eighth at cross country national that year which is, wow that's from incredible. Minnesota, you know, that was, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. So um, getting back to some of the, some of the, um, you know, racial, you know, injustice or racial profiling, um, you said when, in the article, you said when you lived in Minneapolis, you experienced some of that, um, you know, maybe on a train or, you know, a security guard pulling you aside. Tell us a little bit more about those experiences. It, it, it's 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 like it's like it's more like this. I don't know if you guys stay on social media more, but when someone just doesn't think you belong somewhere, and all of a sudden they go out of their way to question you, what are you doing? Now you see that on all type of social media, people exposing, and you're like, well, what's you know? But and so for me, it was kind of like that, except with law enforcement. It, it was like if you weren't based on the way you dress, or you know, if you didn't, they didn't see you in that neighborhood often. It was just kind of like, well, are you out of place? Like, can, you know, what's going on? So. Um, you know, me being a, we, I mean, I pretty much rode the public transportation uh, as a kid in Minneapolis, and because you know they got a great system up there, and it was easy. So mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you, you run into some of those issues from time to time, um, and sometimes you know you cannot predict another man is or individual's thinking, but but you just gotta only come to your own conclusion whether why are you being constantly the you know the only one getting questioned mm. when, and you know, so. Yeah, for me as as you know, a teenager in high school, those were really the things that. But like I said, at that point, I just it didn't really bother me. I think to the magnitude of my today is the same thing happened to me. You know, right. I think my and uh, I think that was just the beauty of being a young and just kind of like oh, being so you know thinking the world is so innocent. But right. for me, so that was, you know, those were the things. Yeah. And, and another another quote that I'd like to bring up from that article, which I thought was pretty pretty interesting and powerful, was you said watching the video of George George Floyd being killed outside Cup Foods in South Minneapolis, which was about a mile and a half from the high school you went to, did not shock you. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, the general idea of of a, of a you know. Law enforcement, police brutality on on young African Americans. 
and, and you know they the, the been doing it's it's not something all of a sudden just start happening it's it been happening that if i hadn't seen it in first hand have have friends close friends experience it so for me um i was it was extremely shocking to watch you know on on a video that get captured and you know individual lose you know take their last breath no, no one ever wants to see that but and I, and i never but have i seen a lot of victims in in you know on the hands of of law enforcement or have i you know people told me stories of like what happened to them yeah so to me that's why i say when i say it wasn't shocking to me it was the idea of that like people were shocked all of a sudden and all of a sudden like oh my can't believe this is happening and people that reacted like it was something new that i was like no this has been happening and if you don't know anybody if you haven't come across as someone that's been the victim of it or someone that you know witnessed it you might just get all you gotta do is go walk down the road and see how it happens but you're yeah, not, so you're, for yeah me, if, if you if you're you're not paying attention is what you're saying if you yeah yeah or you're or yeah yeah um you, you said you were more shocked by ahmad arbery's death did that really did that really hit home with you? Yeah, I think that was just because if the video did not show, you know, the kid running and, and you can see how many articles of clothing he's wearing, like, you know, that, but there's this evidence here that you cannot look away because the kid got shorts and a shirt. Mm -hmm. You can't even give the excuse that he was concealing anything. Right. He reached for anything. He's, this is like, that one is is hard to talk about because that's something I do every day I run there. I know thousand people that just go out for a run and to just do that and not knowing you're not going to come back from that. Now, that was hard for me to, um, that was hard for me to like just, just sit there and watch. My stomach was, I couldn't do it, yeah. So where where do we go for you who you're, you're, you've, you've become a, you know, a, a public figure, uh, an Olympian, mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the track community, one of the best in the world, uh, athletes, like what, what, what do you do? Like what, how, how, how do you, uh, move this conversation forward or how do you, you know, do you take responsibility to do, to do something or what is it that you do? What, what is it that you can do? I mean, every, everybody's got a certain platform. They, they can reach to it. You know, they can reach certain and influence certain individuals or certain amount of people. And for me, I think I'm, I've been fortunate enough to be not only in the running community, but, you know, decently known. And if, and, and so for me, I can, you know, I gotta, I gotta do my part. And I think my part is educate those that I'm around. And I'm not talking about, you know, to the extreme, I'm talking about having a conversation on like, you know, how you can, you might be in a position at some point at one point in your life where you can de-escalate a, a, a situation or inform someone that may not plainly think they're being offensive and educate them on how that can why or, or how is that offensive so for me it's, it's it's more of a personal and i want to educate those that are, are my surroundings and you know i had a lot of friends teammates that reach out to me about when the um but the, I, I did that podcast with um, a couple other friends of mine, mm -hmm. um, and then the article came out, and they like, you know, they're like, oh, we didn't even know. Like, th there was a lot of that there for me when I experienced it, but some of them were like, you know, like, they, it wasn't so much about them not experiencing it, but some of them just didn't 
think or didn't see the situations until someone explained the, uh, the narrative of like, you know, you might have seen it, but you never thought about it. But all of a sudden, if someone explains it to you now, it makes a lot more sense. I was like, oh, you, you're, you, you're aware of it. You see a lot more than before. So for me, just uh, I gotta be vocal with those that um, I, I spend time with, and, and when I go to and speak to youth, uh, which I have, I do quite a bit in terms of, uh, uh, you know, like do Nike and appearance. Those when you gotta talk to kids because cross country is probably one of the, it is probably one of the most like. In terms of like economical wise, a lot of people participate because this is the cheapest of sports to participate. So you're getting a lot of people that are not might, might not be, you know, you get a lot of people that are going to simply experience to this. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Hassan, can you can you share with us kind of your experience um, in this light as a professional athlete? Like, do, do has your experience changed? Do people treat you differently? Are there different levels of injustices that you see through, you know, the professional space that you also want to speak, speak out against? Um, you know, that's, that's a tough question because I don't, I mean, most of the time, um, being a professional, you're kind of in a really close circle because I'm just training and then I just stay, you know, pretty much you, you, when you're not training, you're spending on recovery. So you're not out there, um, in the community as compared to like if I was going to school, coming back from school, going to work constantly. I'm, so I'm kind of in a way kind of a shelter. But um, I would say it depends on which area you are. And, and some area you are, the more you're known than the, the friendlier. In some places you could be a lot more strange. But it's been a pretty quiet since I turned pro, I would say. I haven't had any conflict. Because you you feel any, like you're in a bubble a, a little bit in, in where you are as a professional athlete competing for the Oregon yeah. Track Club? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I definitely think um, because, like I say, I'm not out there, and you know, if, if I was a no, if I was a student athlete, I would be doing a lot more things mm-hmm. on my daily schedule than just mm, for me today is train and then yeah, a lot of things involve that where there's you know different phases of training, but I'm not out in the public yep. as much as I was when I was a student. Got if that it. makes sense. Yep, makes total sense. Um, so it's a lot a little more quieter, right? I think. Right. Yeah. So you're not exposed. Um, I, I, and and I want to talk about your running here in just a moment. But la- kind of the last thing on this, uh, I, I, we've had a couple of guests on, on in the last few weeks talking about this, and I asked the same question: um, Do you believe this is a different moment in time? Do you believe we're coming out of this and things <laughs> will be different? I hope so. I hope <laughs> if we go through all this and we don't we don't make any changes and we haven't learned anything, uh, I think we're in trouble. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, yeah, absolutely. I think we're in a we're in a time that's going to be in the history books, and I'm uh, I'm I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that you know, as a country, as in a, a global, that we come out of this and uh, you know we move forward, whether. All kind of different, uh, all type of different faces, you know. Whether it's uh, the the injustice system, um, you know, hate crimes, racial. If we're talking about, you know, as in globally, economically, head up to wise, there's so much that's in the in, in the rattle right now that we have no choice but to learn from this. Yep. So I hope so. I hope so. Yep. I like it. All right, we're with Hassan Mead. We're switching gears. Uh, I want to talk about your running. Um, how disappointed were you 
about the uh, the postponement of the 2020 Olympics? You know, Mark, my, Mark, one of my coach over at OTC always says, he, uh, he always says, you know, worry about what you can control. So when, when I was getting ready to run the New York half, then I was going to come to Flagstaff, and then we were going to switch from the road into the track uh, phase, get ready, paint Jordan, you know, to run uh, qualifying for the 10K and so on. Which is just which is most of the time what we do. That's our that's our route of, of getting ready for mm-hmm. outdoors. Um, but when, when the when the when the situation started to act up, you know, people start countries start shutting down, and then we, you know, America got the reality that like, oh, you know, sports are getting canceled. And once you knew basketball got canceled or, or postponed, then you know nothing else is going to happen. So right. we we were watching the things happen, but. We couldn't really stress about it. It was just we had to um, we have to change the pace at what we were going to prepare. So was it disappointing that it was postponed? Yeah, because you know Olympics, Olympics, and I think you were mentally getting ready and go to a state of mind that you you know you only go like four or five years or every or once every four years because being a participant in the Olympics, I tell you, it, it takes a lot getting ready those championships because it's the Olympics. Right. <laughs> it puts a pressure on people that yeah, they don't see often in their lifetime. So we were getting ready. And then when we, when we find out, you know, things were not certain, we have to kind of play this waiting game. Um, we had no choice but to adapt. So I wouldn't say I was disappointed, but I was just like, well, you know, that's that. What yep. are you going to do? So, so you have had to adapt. So what's that look like? Obviously not, uh, or have well, you done any that, of these virtual races? Have you done any races? Have you done any time trials? Like, what have you done? I um I did a, I did a one mile time trial up here in Flagstaff on the on the road about two months ago now. Okay. Yeah. So no, we were just we just uh, we just changing our, our training uh, not to the sense on like how aggressive we are being you know how aggressive are we training? What are we training for? Because usually this time of the year we'd be sharp you know it would be everything because uh season will be getting ready to go but but right now you just we're doing it like every we're doing a six week spaces so every six weeks we're just kind of taking a little down and then we throw down days and then come right back to it so we just got this six eight week rotation um that's why i'm kind of going back to eugene this sunday after being up here about four months mm-hmm. just to kind of do maybe some of those uh Sometimes tries with my teammates and also kind of just get take a little break from altitude. But everybody's on the same schedule, you know. Everybody's like, you can make it with you know. If you have a little access races to in your neighborhood or your community, you participate in that. And, yep. and some people and not everybody now, not many of us. Um, like I just going to say us, but there's not many of them that have access to that. And I think I might be one of the fortunate enough to. Go ahead and do a couple of time tries with my teammates. So we'll see how that plays out. So uh, you were the 11th place finisher at the finals of the 2016 Rio Olympics 5K. Um, I said that was, uh, I, I guess I kind of said that was your your um, one of your best accomplishments as a runner, um, which it is amazing. Um, what would you say your best accomplishment? Was it the Rio Olympics? Uh, I mean, I think... It's hard. To, it's hard to to say the Olympics were not. Right. You're probably, 
but then depends on which face you're looking. If, if you were if you were in a stage where you could have potentially medal and then you didn't, you finished outside the top ten, then then you kind of put, it, it kind of reevaluates. But I think the Olympics are at the, you know at the top of the platform when right. in terms about careers. It's like you know somebody winning a Grand Slam. You know that's so for me. I'll probably say having you know Olympian in your resume is is the loudest thing. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of excitement. Um, I had like a one or two races. I think that would say um, that were a lot, a lot more satisfying in in in, in the magnitude of like you were emotionally exciting. Right. But you can't beat the Olympics, so right, I think right. that's <laughs> true. The Olympics. Well, yeah. what what was uh, you? Yeah, give me give me a couple of those races that uh, yeah you can't beat. It's the pinnacle of the sport, and the fact yeah. that you're there yeah. and you make it, and and then you 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 everything has to line up for that time in your life and all those things. So it is incredible. And it happens once every yeah. four years or once every five years, Yeah, yeah, four, and, five, yeah. Six five years, six years, whatever yeah. it is. So it is incredible. <laughs> but tell, tell me a couple of those other um, highlights that, uh, that you really remember fondly. Well, I, I think uh, for me, the probably the most exciting uh, races I ever ran. And I think this, it wasn't even about the placement. I think it was just like me not knowing much about the sports and doing well. It was like when I was a freshman at 2008 NCAA Championships 5K, I got sixth place, I think. And I, I think I was more happy than the guy who won. <laughs> and I don't know. And I think, I think that feeling, I remember I crossed the line. There's a picture somewhere and I got both my hands in the air. Like I just drained the 22 putter for the girl, for the masses or something. And, and I'm over here, I got like sixth place, but in terms of joy, oh man, that was a... That's a good I have one. Ran a bigger, yeah, I've ran bigger races, I've ran much faster than that, but that pure emotion of like someone's not knowing much about the sports and coaches like, yeah, you just got to finish this and you just do it, you know, you finish the top five and then you go to the final and he's like, okay just go, you know, just go run and then just bring it home. And you just, you're running absolutely just like the most innocent mind. You, you know, you're not analyzing, you're not doing nothing because you don't know nothing about it. You just, you just one foot front as hard as yep. you can. And, uh, looking back, I always say, um, 2008 NCAA 5K final probably one of the most exciting. Hassan, you're breaking my heart because we're going to talk later in this program after we let you go about where these kids are in the, you know, in the college. And it's so true. Like tearing a season like that away from you would have been life changing. And it's just so sad that these kids yeah. are at this point where they're not sure whether they have a season or not. And they've already had one season taken away from them. Yeah, no, this is like, like you were saying, we're in a, we're in a different times and, uh, yeah, it's going to be extremely, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're a kid and you were gearing up and you were at the transformation of this is your last year, you know, you don't know, you, you know, you're hoping that breakthrough and someone who has a love for the game and you're trying to go to the next level, yeah, that the opportunity is not going to be there realistically. Yep. Yeah, it really is. It's tough. I, there's no no real answer. Um, all right, so yeah. you're, you're in Flagstaff now. You're going to head back to uh, Eugene soon. Are you fit? 
Like what, what, what was the, what was the mile? I mean, can you tell us, I don't want to give your competitors a uh, competitive, (laughs) can you tell us what that road mile was? It it was at altitude. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a 7,000 feet. What'd you you run? You know, like, can, can you tell us? Yeah, I think I ran, I think I ran 411. 411 on the road. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, on the road. Yeah. On the road, 7,000 feet. Yeah. And, and was it by? Way. Is it was it by yourself? Did you have a couple teammates? No, no. It was a uh, yeah. It was me, and then um, um, my manager Stephen Hass was mm-hmm. on the bike. So it was just us two. Nice. Wow. That's yeah. I, I, so you're fit. All right. That's that's really. I'm, I'm in a good shape. I'm, I'm in a good shape. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 really exciting. Um, you know, I, after all, there's nothing to do but train. So. <laughs> Yeah. Hassan, how has it been on your motivation? Like, you know, there's such an emotional uh, component of coming into an Olympic year. Um, You know, obviously you said before you you control what you can control, but how how have you shifted your mindset in terms of like, all right, well, now I've got to, you know, gear up for next year and I got to get myself, you know, high to kind of get after it next year. Um, you know, without the races and things this fall that we might have, you know, on the roads or track just to be able to kind of have that momentum. I understand everybody's kind of in the same boat, right? But, um, yeah, from a, from an emotional standpoint, like how has that kind of affected you, you know, coming off of the excitement of trying to get ready for this year and kind of regroup and, and trying to do it again next year? You, this is a, you know, this is kind of when it comes down to, uh, and, um, just to do it, take a step back. Uh, last year, we were talking about being, um, you know, having a late world championship in Doha because that's in October. Mm-hmm. And then you come right back and you get ready for if you're going to do indoors. If not, you, you very short turnaround to outdoors, which is Olympic year. So he was like, "Those, how hard do you go on on, on the summer of nineteen, and then you come back without going, without you know, mentally being burned out to get ready for this Olympics because the Olympics got their own magnitude." So. This is, I think, where being having the right people around you, having the right state of mind helps because if if you can pick and choose when when do you shift and at what pace do you shift in terms of training, in terms of all those kind of the you know those variables that comes to play, it's uh, it's challenging. And I think for me, I've been fortunate enough to have a coach and, and, and you know that understands and that allows me to talk to him about. Where should we attack in the season? Uh, what is the objective? And going to Olympia, you always want to be at the Olympics. That's you know, you start at the Olympics and you break it down and you look at like, okay, if we want to be here at you know at the Olympics, we have to be fit at these races, and then you know, so these are the windows that we're going to attack, and then you kind of just go backwards. So I've been you know I've been lucky enough to have someone that allows me to, you know, put my two cents when it comes to selecting or how we're going to do that. So, and not everybody. So it, it really comes down to the, the individual's um, surroundings, uh, you know, the support, the communication and, and planning this because it's, it's a long run. And if you don't do it right, you know, you could come short or you could be burnt out whether one or the other. Yeah, it always feels like there's so much time, and then when you start working backwards, you're like, "Wait a minute, there's not that much time." <laughs> no, <laughs> I gotta be fit by this point and hit this marker by this point. Like, you know, there, yeah. you think there's gonna be this big block to just, you know, relax and kind of take your own pace, but 
not when you're trying to do big things. Like I imagine no. you're coming off of, of 2016. You know what it looks like now. You know what it feels like that the intimidation yep. of going there for the first time. Now like, let's go get a medal. Yeah. yeah. You've got, you got business. Uh, yeah. You got business now. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you never want to go back to a, you never want to keep coming, going back to the same place and, and not improving your results. Right. Well, man, you, you sound like you take it all in stride. Um, so I'm really, really impressed. And you're you you you're not down about you're not down about it. You're 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 positive. You're up. I mean, that's great. Put it. I mean, put it this way: if I right here, if I sit here and worry about it and and, <laughs> and, and, and nag about it, at the end of the day, they're not going to change anything. Yeah. The result. Like for me, just be me wasting energy for something that's out of my control. So, um, and I think, and not everybody looks at the way, you know, this way because I'm, I'm sure there was people that, you know, put everything they had and was getting ready to take their shot this year. And and the fact that the opportunity is not there is like, man, that's not that. But this is this is you know this is the nature of the sports that you gotta yep. when things are not going, you gotta adapt and, yep. and be mentally and physically. Yeah, we uh, I coach at Georgetown uh, here in D.C. and you know we're anxiously awaiting what's going to happen. You know, with with sports and uh, what I've been telling you know my young women is like, hey, you know, we still have a goal of November. Like, we can't control what's going to happen. So, yeah. the the teams yeah. that are managing it the best right now are going to be the teams that are capable of showing up at the NCAA finals if and when we have that opportunity. Like, if we wallow right now, we're 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 going to be pretty bad when it when we need to be good. Yep. Yep. Well, Hassan, no, um, we really appreciate uh, you joining us. It's it's Hassy. Has thirty five. What's the thirty five? What's the relevance of that? Well, when I first when I was told to design an account, I just I don't know. Well, <laughs> so it's supposed to be the three k. Supposed to be the three k and a five k. Got it. Okay. I, I would I, like I would that. like to compete. I got yeah, it. Yeah. So it's yeah. Hassy has thirty five. That, that I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll remember that now. Uh, on Twitter, are, are you on Instagram or where can we get content yeah. from Hassan Mead? Where is the best place to follow you? Probably, probably Instagram. Yeah. All yeah. right. All right. I, I, I post. I post. Uh, I post on my story to what I'm up to here and there. Okay. Not always, but from when I'm when I'm in the move, when I'm doing something. All right. Well, we'll we'll give you a follow, and, it, and it's Hassy has thirty five on Instagram as well, right? Yep. That's all the same. Yep. All if right. he if he was gonna say Snapchat, I'm out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a TikTok fan? Hassan. Oh man, no, I I don't know anything about TikTok. Good, I can see it here, you win, you win with me. Julie's a big <laughs> fan of TikTok, so good. It's good. it's oh, it's I, happy I, entertainment. No, That's stay what away. I say. It's stay happy away. entertainment. I, I, <laughs> Depending on what you're looking at, but no. oh man, I got I I'm, I'm trying to minimize. I already got enough between Instagram and Twitter and all that. I, I agree. Yeah, we gotta we gotta That's pull enough. back here. This whole uh, COVID nineteen thing has yeah really made social media like sky. <laughs> Rocket. It totally has. Well, it did. Yeah. Well, uh, Hassan, you got a, a number of new fans here in DC. We're rooting like heck for you, man. Um, to to see you uh, compete at the highest level, hopefully in Tokyo in 2021 or whenever it happens. Um, you got some new fans here, dude. I, I really appreciate your time, um, your perspective. Again, it, that, there was a great article that 
you wrote with uh, with with Taylor Dutch and Runner's World. It's Hassan Mead speaks up about the racism he's dealt with since coming to the U.S. 21 years ago. We'll tweet that out. Definitely check that out. Very, very well done. Um, thanks so much, man, for taking some time out of your day to, to join us. And, and, and we're going to follow up with you again and can't wait to follow your progress. Well, I, pre- I appreciate you guys giving me the time to speak on this. And uh, uh, it was a great chat with you guys. Yeah, man. Great stuff. Hassan Mead, he joined us on Pace the Nation. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the program, and thanks again to Hassan Mead for joining us. Oregon Track Club's Hassan Mead, 2016 Olympian. Uh, he is HassiHass35 on Twitter and Instagram. Give him an instant follow right now, right this second. Stop what you're doing. Well, we're on your phone, Julie, so you can't stop what you're doing. But I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to give him a follow right now. Oh, I already am following him. Uh, Docs, give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram immediately. Uh, enjoyed that uh, interview with Hassan. Um, I'm really rooting f- rooting for him. I like his attitude. He controls what he can control, and he's just, you know, the, the other stuff, he just doesn't let it bother him. Docs, you can learn. Yeah, I think that's a that's a lesson that you can le- all of us can learn from, but um, I'm looking at you, Dude, Docs. I've been saying this the whole time, man. <laughs> you probably have i just don't listen you're right it's yeah. good to, it's good to hear these guys and and gals are are getting you know to their training camps to their training sites like obviously there's a lot of precaution but they're they're kind of all quarantining together you know and and so if you're in one of those training groups i think it, it's probably a pretty good situation if i'm someone who does training on my own and and you know as a professional i would think that this is a little bit more of a challenging time yeah I definitely think running on your own would be difficult. So he sounds like he's fit. So looking forward to seeing what Hassan does uh, whenever we get back to whatever we get back to. Um, all right. Um, so a programming note here. Um, you know, not having docs in the studio is difficult. Okay. Just pulling back the curtain, just fully pulling back the curtain right now. If there's that crackling noise, and I know you do the editing docs, uh, mm-hmm. I, I really apologize to the to the audience, and I apologize to the guests. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how we eliminate it or at least limit it. But uh, hang in there with us. Um, it's it's a product of not having docs in the studio, I think. So well, now they're gonna now they're gonna be listening for it. <laughs> I know. Well, they've already it's, they've it's already something that my sensitive ears pick up. They've, uh, they've powered through the interview at this point and they they probably heard it. But Julie can see me like getting like anxious and like really frustrated by it. So maybe I'm gonna change my headphones. Yeah, I also see him wearing some pretty cruddy headphones, so <laughs> I, I think know. that might be a contributing factor. <laughs> maybe here. that's what it is. They look like the headphones that I've like tried to throw out. 35 times in our house. They're, they're, they're like the $10 jobbers from CVS. <laughs> Do you have any of your um, microphone cables on or near a power supply? Uh, that's a that's an affirmative as we try to uh, troubleshoot this um, on the podcast here. So thank you for the listeners uh, for hanging in there with us. Yes, that could be a problem, Docs. I think 
You know well, what? That, I, I think you're going to have to come back happens. and fix it, Docs. I just think that you're going to have to come here and no, it's fix irresponsible. it. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I, like I'm, I'm, I, I understand that you guys are uh, would would like to move on, but but it's it's we're being really irresponsible in this country uh, <laughs> by by not taking this virus seriously. And I'm going to take this virus seriously. So uh, if that means that there's, you know, the podcast is not 100 percent, then then that's the sacrifice that we and our listeners will make. That's the collateral damage. I agree, damage. Docs. I'm right. just kidding. I agree. I agree. I, I, will, I, I will say that we do have a duty to our country to get some good podcast content out, too. So, um, Which we're doing. Which we are doing, no doubt. Hassan was fantastic. Um so appreciate Tim. Um, I'll work on that this week. I think that's a good good point. I got to get some of this uh, these wires maybe tightened up. Uh, so, anyways, thanks to the listeners for hanging in there with us. All right. Um, so we wanted to touch on another topic that we uh, brought up in the uh, opening segment that we talked a little bit to Hassan about, and that's college athletics and where we are. Uh, after spring being canceled, where we are for the fall and, and frankly, for, for spring and beyond. Um, Can I break some news? Yes. The ACC just announced that uh, fall sports will not start before September 1st. Okay. Okay. That, and, and he is Sounds like they're buying is, themselves time. Right. He's breaking this, news this is here late, on late breaking, yeah. late breaking news. That is, that is uh, four days old when you listen. <laughs> right. Right. Um, okay. I, I, I was, and I, I am totally obviously invested in this because I really would love to see some sort of fall uh, agenda for sports. So I was holding my breath there. That doesn't sound terrible, the ACC saying uh, nothing before September 1st. There really isn't anything before September 1st, frankly. No, it's just well, a bunch of scrimmages College football normally. usually right. starts in August. College football does, yeah, but it's, it's scrimmages and it's preseason stuff for, for a lot of other sports. You're right. There usually is one game before September 1st uh, that you know wouldn't be a huge deal if we miss one football game. But uh, the, okay. the new it's it'll it'll probably be more. I mean, you, you should you should brace yourself for uh, the news to be bad. Um, l- let's talk about some of the other headlines and then and then I'll talk about the MLS. Uh, yeah, I agree with you that we should brace ourselves for the news to be bad. I think that is the, the, the point that is going to be the uh, the biggest takeaway, because uh, the Ivies came out and said, um, and Julie, you're going to have to help me out here. They said. They are going to do school 100% online, and then there's no fall sports at all. They're going to make a decision later in January to look at the spring season. Well, I think the academic institutions are individually talking about how they're going to manage classes, so I don't think that they made a blanket statement 100% online. For the entire Ivy League, it came out that Harvard said it, and then and then Princeton said it, but... The big thing coming out of the Ivy League is that they're, you know, quote unquote, canceling fall sports. Um, now, I, I'm I'm a little confused as it as it stands if that means they're moving fall sports into the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, they've talked about not having a single competition before January 1st of 2021. So, um, 
if they do move sports to the spring, let's say they move soccer and they they put together a fall, a, a spring football season in the spring, the one sport who kind of gets, you know, the shaft in this Screwed. whole situation is is cross country because you can't move a championship onto another championship season. Right. Um, so the other thing the Ivy League said is that they're going to allow student athletes to come back to campus and practice for the fall semester, which I thought was an interesting argument to make yeah. um, or or uh, statement to make. Uh, there's there's a, there's two sides of that coin. One is that. You bring the student athletes back to campus, they can properly prepare for the seasons ahead. One of the biggest concerns with uh, losing the spring season, particularly for football, is that those individuals are at much higher risk for injury coming into the fall season uh, because they miss their spring season and then they've been deconditioning for most of the summer. Um, so there's some safety issues involved with that. So I think that that's probably the reason why they would want the student athletes back on campus. But you know, my initial reaction to that is you're going to bring back a, a, a ton of student athletes, give them no competition, have limited hours with them because they wouldn't be allowed to practice it full time and hope that COVID doesn't, you know, spread and, and wreak havoc on these institutions. Yeah, it's just going to be a bunch of like Novak Djokovic parties going on is what I'm saying. I don't know what that means. You guys don't know the Novak Djokovic party reference? I, I obviously do. Uh, Djokovic is a star tennis player who doesn't believe in vaccines and didn't believe in coronavirus. Yeah. And they had a really, really weird uh, European dance party at his house. Uh, yes. And, and surprisingly, everybody got coronavirus. <laughs> I mean, wow. and if that's, if that's what <laughs> we're talking about. <laughs> with, no, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> might want to edit that piece out. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how we. All right, so I, now I understand. It's, I don't know it's if about to, no. it's about the party scene and hoping for the best. That that would be my concern. That yeah. as much as I desperately want our kids back on campus to be able to train and kind of be in a controlled environment, you know, if we have limited time with them and then we're just hoping for the best in terms of of their exposure and and what they're doing on the weekends, I think that's. It, it puts us all in a very vulnerable position. And I'll say it. I mean, I think that there are some sports that are going to be, you know, they're, they're going to control themselves better than other sports. And I think there are some sports, it's going to be, uh, if there's no accountability and no competitions for some of these sports, it's going to be a big party. Yeah, so it's just we'll gonna see. be it's yeah. gonna be a big party for these universities. We'll see. I think I think the argument goes both ways. Um, you can make a strong argument for the the safety and health of the student athletes. Um, you can make a strong argument that it could really um, be damaging to to college campuses. So yeah, because um, yeah, if we'll they've see. got no outlet, oh man. So what's interesting about the Ivy League decision is the Ivy League was the first conference uh, to make the decision in March. Uh, to, to stop sports and to stop athletic competition. So in terms of track and field, um, the Ivy League, before teams were departing to um, head to Albuquerque for the NCAA finals um, in indoor track, the Ivy League literally, I, I remember a story that the Harvard kids were literally like yep. almost walking to the bus to go to the airport to head to Albuquerque when they heard the news that they were no longer allowed to compete at the NCAA finals. Um, and it was probably about 48 hours later that the NCAA made a decision to... So that's the scary part is that, uh, that, that the Ivy League seemed to be setting the tone. 
So who knows what well, the next domino is? Well, let's let's be honest. I mean, we know that the Ivy League are the smart kids in the room, and everybody's just copying <laughs> off their papers. Right. So, uh, right. So this is this this should be expected that that all the other conferences and, and the NCAA will follow suit. Yeah. Basically, if you if you follow any of these conversations, ninety nine percent of the people in this country, uh, as far as making you know having to make these kind of decisions are just waiting for somebody else to make a decision and then copying their work. You, you yeah. get on like these phone calls where, where people are like, well, how should we handle this? You'll have 100% participation of people calling in. Everybody's just waiting for somebody else to make a decision. Yeah, and that's where we are right now, Docs. You know, the Ivy League decision was scheduled to come out yesterday, so we were all anticipating that decision. And, and lo and behold, the Big East presidents are meeting today, you know, to discuss. And I think it's it was a game of chicken, like who's going to make that call first. Right. And the Ivy League is going to be the conference that makes the call first because they have a different model when it comes to college athletics. It's a non-scholarship uh, conference. Um, they look at athletics a little bit differently. Um, and certainly the strongest academic conference in the entire country. So I think we're going to see a lot of, of folks following, particularly non-Power 5 conferences. Um, I think you're going to see in the next week or so a lot um, kind of following the lead. But my guess is that the major football conferences are going to push forward and do everything they can until, until the NCAA cuts it off. Uh, Julie, I kind of agree with everything you say, but but uh, I, I fall short of calling the Ivy League the uh, the best academic conference in in the country. I think that's Conference USA. <laughs> <laughs> Who, uh, who's the leader in Conference USA? All right. Well, some other big news was uh, that was not good news was that Stanford cut eleven of its thirty six varsity sports that it offers. Um, that was 240 uh, student athletes at Stanford who just no longer have a sport that they're going to go back to. I believe they will have it this year this if they year, have competition. If they have competitions. Yeah. So they get to endure what this year will right. look like with COVID and then their sport gets dropped. Right. It's just an awful position to put these athletes in. If you're a wrestler, you know, who's worked all these years and you're, let's say you're a sophomore at Stanford, do you transfer? Um because you got a couple years left or and, and then not get a Stanford degree or do you you know do you stay at Stanford and just get the degree and maybe do some club wrestling or whatever that looks like it's a, just a terrible uh, situation to put these athletes in yeah I, I will say Farley you you alluded to this or you called this in, in last week's show uh, that we are going to start seeing more and more programs uh, that are taking financial mm -hmm. hits uh, start cutting programs. Uh, it is worth noting. I, I mean, we we've talked about, um, you know, in the past, like, uh, you know, Brown University, and 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 shed some light on on, you know, how much do these sports actually cost? Um, they they are cutting Stanford of the eleven sports. Uh, they're cutting a lot of programs that that you know you could probably describe as rich kid. Uh, sports, right? Men's and women's fencing, uh, and and uh, co-ed and women's sailing, synchronized swimming. I mean, there, there are probably not very many programs out there anyway with with these sports. Yeah. Um, and and actually, they 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 probably are like 
uh, true Olympic sports as well. But um, it it seemed like they, it seemed like these might be expensive sports, and it made me think like these these tend to be and and you know I'm generalizing these tend to be rich kid sports, but maybe they make them club sports and then and then the the athletes uh, continue to participate just at a club level and and fully finance themselves rather than than uh, taking college scholarships and and uh, school funding. Yeah, there are some sports that were cut that aren't NCAA sports. Um, and so, you know, they're participating in their own um, conference. Like I know, um, I, I don't know if it's men's and women's sailing or if it's just one of the genders that's that's uh, not NCAA, but they, mm. they compete in their own conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they cut them, um, it's a it's a huge blow, but at the same time, they can kind of operate as usual. So I think there are sports here that will still have a future, and they'll still have a future at Stanford. Um, but I do think there are sports like wrestling, who, you know, that's a sport that kind of has been earmarked, you know, in in the state of Olympic sports as being one of the sports that gets cut first. Yep. Um, and it's really sad. Yeah. It's sad when you think, you know, when you're a member of an Olympic sport. It's sad when you see other Olympic sports because there's such, uh, there are so few schools that have offerings um, for you to be a student athlete in the sport that you love. And then when you see the number one athletics program in the country uh, eliminating those sports, man, it is, it's not a great state for, for the rest of the uh, universities across the country who are, who are sponsoring that sport. Well, it's fair to also point out that, that even before coronavirus, Stanford University Athletic Department had uh, projected a a twelve million dollar deficit. Right. So th- this this was a uh, program that was not financially responsible before uh, all of this happened. So uh, if if you're making predictions, if if you're a betting man, and I, I know Farley's a betting man, I am. Uh, and and you can bet on these. Uh, the first thing you could look at is is see which which athletic departments around the country ha- have been operating in the red. Um, yeah. I think it's also fair to point out, uh, you know, to Stanford that they they will continue to honor uh, the scholarship commitments. Um, they're honoring the the contracts for the coaches, and they have said that they will they will help and assist any athletes who who wish to be transferred. Uh, or, or wish to enter transfer protocol um, in order to to pursue their sport. So, so, so they are um, showing some responsibility to the individuals associated with those sports. It's 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 almost a long term decision rather than a, an immediate decision like some of the other programs that have been cut and they just said sorry, uh, the doors are closed. You know. Well. It's uh, not not great news across the board, and 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 Docs, uh, we'll we'll just continue with the bad news uh, because I do think that every sport at this point matters, and they're setting precedent. You know, soccer setting precedent for basketball, and basketball setting precedent for hockey and for baseball, and all those things. What's going on with the MLS uh, today? The um, Nashville team has backed out of the the MLS tournament because they've had a couple of uh, positive COVID tests on their team before the the, the tournament started Wednesday night. Um, they're everybody's living in a, a bubble down in Orlando, so they 
they isolated, they took tests, and then they traveled to Orlando. And, and the idea is that in this bubble, as long as everybody is safe and and virus-free, then they don't let any outsiders into the bubble. So they did all this testing. They, they got together. FC Dallas didn't come to the tournament. They opted out of the tournament because of everything that's going on. And then once they were in the bubble... Nashville had positive tests and they had to leave. So uh, this is this is a organization with a lot of money, the, uh, uh, enough money to to you know per- perform. I don't know how often they're testing, but but at least several times a week they're testing everybody. You think they they'd be able the, to get as many tests as they want? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. But what I'm saying is like, if, if you want to look at this as like an example for, oh, you know, yeah. getting the NCAA back together, I mean, this is, this is as clean a conditions as, as you, you can get. And they're still having positive tests. Um, I don't think that NCAA sports have that kind of money. And I, I don't think that they're going to be uh, doing that much testing for NCAA sports, especially non-revenue sports. All these professional leagues are are trying to put something on so that they can get some TV revenue. Um, so, uh, to me, seeing that uh, you know some of these professional teams are having to back out, and then when you talk about the NBA is getting ready to gear up uh, for for their tournament, uh, the NHL is gearing up for their tournament. It, it'll be interesting. They're they're trying to live in bubbles. It will be interesting to me to see, you know, how well they can do. Now, professional soccer leagues overseas have done a good job of, um, you know, containing the virus and and putting on uh, competition every week. But I also think that that those are in countries where uh, they don't have such a high rate of infection. So. Right. Uh, we're, we're more at risk here in the United States because we have not contained the virus. You're, you're, you're making me depressed. You're making me depressed. I, I don't know. No, I, I think it's really important. I mean, yeah. when, you know, when the NBA made the decision because the NBA, you know, started to have positive COVID cases that affected the decisions there forward, we can't find in the U.S. right now, we cannot find a prototype, a team, anyone who's figured out how to control it. And um, if we don't have that model in this very moment, and then we're going to take 18 to 22 year olds and ask them to make really good decisions and not um, and not infect their teammates or not go out or or wear a mask everywhere they go. I mean, I was on the phone with someone this morning and they were referencing um, a colleague of theirs that's at a football program down in Florida. And they were saying some of the kids on the team are pushing back against the coaches saying, we don't want to wear masks. I mean, we can't, we can't control every single aspect of what's, what's happening every single day. And if, if the pro leagues can't do it, um, then I, I don't know how much hope there is for the NCAA and these individual institutions. Um, well, and, and also I just want to say on top of it, it's a safety concern. So the, at the end of the day, it's not just about executing sport. It's about making sure that people don't die we're doomed. or that they're we're bringing it back awful. to, to individuals. Don't, don't go. It's, it's not just cancel it. Let's not talk about it anymore. 
that is still at the core of the decision-making process. And that is why, you know, presidents of institutions have to be really, really thoughtful about the decisions that they make. Because if there is one student athlete or one student on campus that passes away from COVID-19, it, it, it's, that's one student too many. So, uh, I mean... As far as the professional leagues are concerned, a lot of these positive cases happened before the professional athletes uh, entered the bubble. Um, I, I think that that's a decent model or, or, or a, a decent plan. It's just not practical if you're if you're not raising the kind of capital that that the professional leagues. And and I would argue that the NHL has the best idea because they're going to Canada. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's an option for a lot of these other leagues. It's not an option for my road races either. <laughs> All right. This podcast is sponsored <laughs> by Pacers Running. Pacers Running with six area DC locations. Pacers Running is for every run. Uh, all our locations are open. We are open for appointments and uh, for walk-ups as well. Uh, runpacers.com for appointments, and uh, you can check us out for walk-ups as well. But I, I would uh, I would encourage appointments, runpacers.com. Also sponsored by Random Row Beer. A lot of folks over at New Balance have been talking about Random Row Beer recently, um, and why shouldn't they be? I mean, Random Row Beer in Charlottesville. Uh, many great beers that I don't know the names of or can remember, but they're awesome beers the Crown, the Mosaic are two of my favorites. Uh, so check them out at Cold Country Salmon. Uh, you can get a delivery of your uh, favorite Random Row beer, you know, this week. Great swag, too. You yes. Get some T-shirts, yeah, yeah. hats. Yep. Uh, I saw some New Balance folks wearing them. I was becoming the beer of New Balance. That's a bold statement. <laughs> I know. It's just totally, <laughs> totally not true either. But uh, I'm just throwing it out there. All right, guys. Well, just to close the loop, I was wrong. I thought I was betting that Hassan would know who Sharif Karee was. But I, I just never can forget, we are old. Docs, That's what are, I was going to say. Old. Like you're, you're desperately hanging on to the fact that this <laughs> young person, I know. this young professional athlete is going to know people from your era. You're that right. is the first sign right. of, of old age. Yep. Um, Docs, well, I think, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll defend Farley on this one. Uh, <laughs> I, I did not know his background, that, that he, he was not interested in, in running. He was interested in basketball. Right. Yep. Uh, so we, I'm sure he knew who uh, Matt Shannon was. He played basketball at my high school. <laughs> <laughs> we should have asked him that. Next time. Next time on the show. Yeah, we asked him the wrong question. All right, great show, guys. Episode 242 in the books. Uh, if you haven't already, which you should have, I want you to give Hassan me to follow. It's HassieHass35 on Instagram and Twitter. So stop what you're doing if you haven't already and give him a follow. Really enjoyed the conversation. Best of luck to Hassan me. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in the future. All right, for Julie and for Docs, I'm Chris Farley. This is Space Nation. We will see you next week.
Bye, guys.